0: You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. So today, as we launch ourselves into this fall season, we are doing so under the banner of a common theme across our church. It's a theme that we are calling this is our story not only in worship but also in education we'll be looking at different stories within the scriptures that show and tell of God's faithfulness being lived out through ordinary people living ordinary lives people in other words like us Many of these names are names that we perhaps are familiar with, such as our first story today, Joseph, but some of the names, too, that we will visit through this season, I hope and suspect, will perhaps be stories that we have never heard of or stories that we have only glanced at, and yet are stories that speak just as powerfully of God's faithfulness through the ages. As Leslie so wonderfully shared with the children, we are stopping first in this season with the story of Joseph, which is one that is familiar to many of us. The coat with long sleeves, the trip to Egypt, the rise to power. And yet today we're going to start and tell Joseph's story through the lens of perhaps a lesser known piece of his life. Dreams, and not the dreams that he has while under Pharaoh's household, but rather the dreams that he has at a very young age. We meet Joseph at the beginning of his story here in Genesis, the 37th chapter. Joseph, we have learned just before the verses we start with today, is 17 years old. He's the youngest of all the brothers, and yet, and problematically, he is the favorite of his father, Jacob. That favoritism has laid the groundwork, the foundation really for some animosity, some jealousy, even some hatred among his siblings towards him. And so let us listen now once more for God's word as we hear this piece of Joseph's story from early on in his life. Picking up at the fifth verse of the 37th chapter of Genesis, we read... Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we all were, binding sheaves in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright, and then your sheaves, they gathered around mine, and they bowed down. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of his words. Now Joseph had another dream and he told it once more to his brother saying, Look, I've had another dream. This time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of Joseph, but his father, well, his father kept the matter in mind. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit once more that we might find our story, the story of these ordinary lives and these ordinary days, that we might find that story in the story, the story of your love and your hand at work across all generations and times. Oh God, through the work of your spirit, bow our hearts once more before you That the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered together here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Preachers sometimes have strange dreams. There's a recurring dream that I have often on Saturday nights. Two different dreams, in fact. The first is me sleeping through every one of my seven alarms on Sunday morning. (laughs) Waking up after worship has begun. And sprinting into the sanctuary still in my pajamas. (laughs) The second recurring dream that I often have is getting to worship dressed and on time, but at some point early on sitting over here realizing that I forgot to print my sermon And so I run out and I scramble to the computer, but there's no paper or the connection isn't happening and the sermon just will not print. And I hear Marsha from down the hallway improvising on the piano and I can feel the anxiety and the angst in this space waiting for the preacher to come. They're strange and troubling dreams. The irony, of course, of that latter dream is I don't actually print my sermon. I just (laughs) have an iPad up here. Joseph's dream is a strange one too, isn't it? Right here is Joseph with his brothers sharing a vision that honestly paints him a little bit as being a person who may suffer from some sort of narcissistic personality disorder. The sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to him. I mean, he's not a terribly likable character in this part of the Joseph story. This is not Joseph in the amazing color dream coat material here, right? I mean, he knows that he's irking his brothers after the first dream. You think he'd get the hint. He'd take the clue. Stop. Don't tell them anymore. But he tells them the second one too. He's not painted in a terribly favorable light. But what's even more strange about his dream is how the power dynamics that his vision portrays are utterly counter to the power dynamics that would have been at play in that ancient time. Right here, he is offering a vision where power and in the ways that it's understood in that time is totally inverted Turned on its head. Right? There's a pecking order to things. Both in his family. And his city. And his society. There's a way power plays out in that time. And it's not rocket science. The youngest serves the oldest. The slave serves the master. The child serves the parent. And here Joseph is, offering this vision that is completely opposite to all of that. Right? Yes, it gets Joseph thrown into a pit. If you read on to what happens next, his brothers, that frustration and hatred, it boils over. They throw him into a pit and they sell him off to Egypt. But that's where the craziest thing begins to happen. Because what we learn in the events that follow is that these strange dreams, they actually come true. This is a little bit of a spoiler in case you haven't gotten to Joseph's story before. But by the time you get to chapter 50 of Genesis, everything that we have just read, well, it's come true. Right from that pit and from those traitors who take him off to Egypt. Joseph rises to power. He saves Egypt. He saves his family. And then he births this nation of Hebrew people who will live there for generations until God one day leads them out of Egypt and through a wilderness and into a promised land. A promised land where, get this, thousands of years later, God will come and dwell amongst us and the flesh, right? This promised land where God will choose to come in the form of a tiny baby. In many ways, these strange dreams from Genesis 37, they set into motion all of the events that ripple out and ripple out until we get to Jesus. There's a strange story that I remember coming across a few months ago. It's from back in the 1920s when Congress told the US Bureau of Patents that they had to clear their files. I guess they didn't have the cloud back then, right? They had actual file cabinets, and Congress at some point caught wind to the fact that those cabinets were overflowing with all of these ideas and inventions that 90% of which would never actually come to fruition. And so Congress told the Bureau of Patents, you have to have an auction and sell off some of these excess ideas and inventions. So in 1926, the Bureau of Patents had this massive public auction. Now, a lot of the ideas and inventions and patent applications that they sold off to the public at this auction were laughable. There was one that was for a glowing cat. I don't know how that works, but it was supposed to scare off mice at night. There was a patent they sold off for an adjustable height a pulpit, which frankly, I actually think is a pretty good idea. If anyone out there, right, so based on the height of the preacher, the pulpit could go up or down. My favorite was a patent application that consisted of an invention that was just a tube, and it was for people who snore. And the idea was you put one end of the tube in your mouth and the other in your ear, and so it would wake you up. (laughs) So there were 150,000 of these ideas and inventions that they sold off at that auction in 1926. And This historian caught wind of this whole episode. And what was interesting about this historian's reflection, looking back on it, was they noted, you know, all of those inventions and ideas had people behind them. Right? Each of those inventions and patents and ideas, they they represented a person who had poured their life, and in many cases, their livelihoods, into these ideas and lost. This historian referred to that auction as being a mountain of disappointment. That's what was being sold. 150,000 broken dreams. I think for many of us, those are the kinds of dreams that we're more acquainted with, right? The broken kind, broken promises, failed starts, dead end jobs. Disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. That feeling that someone has thrown us down into the pit and we're not quite sure if we'll ever be able to climb out. It seems to me. That Joseph's dreams here at the outset, when we meet them with those brothers and with Jacob in chapter 37, it seems to me that those dreams are destined, right, to be added to the top of that heap of history's disappointments. I mean, they're crazy. Joseph, have you looked around? This ain't going to happen, man just close your mouth, keep your head down, be glad you're your dad's favorite. But instead, what we find when we continue on through the Joseph story, what we find is that these dreams we read of here are in fact God's dreams too. Right, what we find is that these dreams that Joseph has turns out to be God's dream for this world where there will be power found in weakness, where youth will no longer be counted against someone. Joseph's dream represents God's dream for this world where there will be strength, not in might and military power, but in sacrifice. Joseph's dreams represents God's dreams. God's dream for this this world where one day we will discover that there is no pit deep enough. That God's hand, God's gracious and merciful hand is not capable of reaching down into it and scooping us back out to the light and to life. So what does it mean then? Right, we're entering this time where we're going to be visiting all these different stories from both the Old and the New Testaments and asking, where's our story in it? Right, what does it mean for us then that this story of a strange dream is part of our story too? Right, because broken dreams are painful. Broken dreams are no fun. So is the point of this story then that we should just ignore the pain? when we come up against those dead-end roads, when we feel the betrayal of people we counted as family or friends and find ourselves down there at the bottom of the pit? Is that the point? No. I was visiting with someone this week who was sharing about how they are trying to care for friends facing incredible amounts of suffering. And we talked about how, you know, there's no place where you should walk into a room and tell someone, you know, I know you're real sad, but this is probably all part of God's plan. If you've ever had that happen to you, you know that is not what you need to hear. I don't think the point of this story is to simply take away that Joseph is telling us to ignore that pain and that hurt that comes when we do not feel the love. When we do not feel the love being received by others in the ways that maybe we are intending it. But what I do think this dream means is that as disciples of that Savior who does come, as people who know where this story ultimately leads, it means that we should be people who are never close to the possibility of being surprised. The end of these verses are almost magical to me. Did you read what happens at the very end? Joseph tells his dreams two times and his brothers hate him even more. It says they're full of jealousy. Even his dad, Jacob, chides him. What are you talking about, son? But then there's an amazing piece at the very end where the narrator tells us that Jacob kept these things in mind. Where Joseph's brothers turned off even an inkling of the possibility that their brother may be on to something, that his dreams may be more than just his dreams, Jacob isn't quite ready to close off that possibility altogether. He kept these things in mind. He allowed and remained open to the possibility that maybe, just maybe, these dreams would come to pass. Pass. The possibility of being surprised, the possibility that maybe the story is not completely over, that there is still more to come. I was thinking as I prepared for today and sat with Joseph this week about the trees that are just outside the doors of the sanctuary, not the trees outside they are trees out here in the tower room, if You came in from the back. Maybe you can go through this way on your way out. Or we have trees over in the family life center too. This is an idea that came up as we were preparing for this theme of this is our story. How could we as a congregation be invited to tell our piece of the story? To share with others where we have seen the intersection of God's work in our lives and the work of God in this congregation. And so these trees out here, there's some instructions and pieces of paper where you can add your own leaves, these memories. I think some of the prompts are like, what's your first memory of worship? What's your favorite Wednesday night meal? But we also added one prompt that goes like this. What is your hope for the next season, the next chapter? in the life of our church. And the more I was thinking about that prompt and those trees and this story, the more I started to think about that question a little differently. It made me wonder, what is our dream? What is your dream? Even if it's a strange one, what's your dream for this next season, this next chapter in the life of our church? I'll tell you mine. My dream is that we as a church would be more like Jacob, Joseph's father, and less like those brothers, right? That we would be people, in other words, who are open to the possibility that God may yet be doing a new thing, yes, in our lives individually, but also in the life of the church, right? My dream is for the kind of world that Joseph dreams about in these verses, right? A world where the powerful get humbled sometimes and where the weak get lifted up. Jesus had a different way of framing that dream. It's a dream for a world where the first will be last and the last will be first, right? I have a dream for a a peaceable kingdom, The kind of kingdom where that hatred and jealousy that fills those brothers' hearts in such a human way. I mean, we're all those brothers, let's be real. But my dream is for that world that Joseph dreams of to come to pass, where that hatred and jealousy will one day be replaced by grace and life and forgiveness. Right, My dream for our church, in other wor- words, is for a world like the one Joseph dreams of, where we might actually believe a world like that is still possible. But I know that a dream like that may not strike you as being all that different than a glowing cat. Another dream destined for that mountain of disappointment. But then again, if Joseph is any indication, sometimes our dreams, even the strange ones, well, they turn out to be God's dreams too. Friends, may we be disciples who dream, who are open to the possibility of being surprised. Surprised by not only what comes to pass because of our actions and our words and our lives, but more so surprised by the ways that God's hand works through us to bring God's dreams to life. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen.